0: Good morning. It is so good to be in worship with you. What a privilege we have to gather in the name of Jesus and to spend time together giving him the honor that is due to his name, the glory and the majesty, enjoying his salvation um, as sort of a precursor to our message today, I want you to join me in the book of Galatians for just a moment. I feel like with the stuff that went on yesterday, uh, it would be um, ignorant of me to kind of stand here today and not make some things plain about what I believe, what the gospel says, and about what we as a church stand for. Uh, in fact, yesterday, we made sure in the midst of all of... What was going on that we personally communicated to the neighbors in our neighborhood or who are people of color exactly where we stand as a family, as Christians, and I just wanted to make clear to you to, uh, to just communicate the importance of us making clear where we stand on issues of racial, cultural, Or ethnic superiority. So in Galatians chapter 2, just um, a moment here with you. I think you'll uh, love this. You'll be encouraged by it. You'll be edified by it. And And I hope that all of us are a bit reproved by it. Because silence at times like this is painful for folks who feel oppressed and who are experiencing a kind of judgment that comes from any kind of elitism of culture or ethnicity. In Galatians 2.11, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcisions. And the rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, mark that, verse 14, not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I want to make absolutely crystal clear, the gospel is for everyone. We cannot hesitate. And that means that a welcome and love are given to everyone. Don't miss the importance of this. Southern Baptists were born with a bad motive. Go study. We've announced it, we've announced it at our convention, we've repented of it, but don't make the mistake of thinking that we can always shake off all of the vestiges of our birth by simply making a statement. We must be intentional. The gospel is for all. The Bible makes clear that the message and ministry of the church is this. Come with me to first John. I want to read it directly and encourage us to enjoy it together and to stand together in this In First John chapter three. Verse 10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does the one who does not love his brother. First John chapter four, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We're not called simply not to hate. We're not called to moral neutrality. The message of the church is clear. It is the message that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is our calling. Let's don't miss every opportunity we have to make this a clear statement with intentionality. Okay, Lynn. Pull up, uh, that first slide. I want to share with you an upcoming event, really important. The Ecuador Water Project. Scheduled for the middle of October. October 14th, Saturday, team will be flying out and then turn around and on October the 22nd, which is really a Saturday night flight, the team will be flying back. Cost is approximately $1,800. We will have a brief, informative meeting this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. If you can't be there for that, it's okay. Get in touch with me. Uh, applications will be available in the church office along with a preparation manual. This is a wonderful work. We encourage you to join in. If you have any questions, drop me a text or an email. I'll be glad to talk to you about it. All right. Now, the Bible teaches us very clearly that the objective of God is to make himself known. Because the greatest need of every person in the world is to know God accurately and personally and savingly and wonderfully in an intimate relationship and eternally. That's what God is busy doing. He's doing it through His creation, giving us a conscience, giving us the Bible, making Himself known through the church, but perfectly displaying what He is like in Christ. And so, Christ is at work growing a people in His likeness, saving them from their sin, so that they may be busy showing what God is like. Kingsville Baptist Church was planted here for one reason... To know God, to grow in His likeness, and for us as God's people growing in His likeness to communicate that all through our surrounding area and even globally. We have a great privilege. The Bible talks about God revealing Himself in Jesus as the friend of sinners. So who are the sinners? Well, they're a class of people. God is making Himself known. Through Jesus to a class of people, irreligious people, irreverent people, immoral people, impure people, indigent, infirm, and physically impaired people. And so every story of the Bible is the story of God revealing himself, and the stories of Jesus are how Jesus comes to earth and interacts with sinners doing three things. He is, by eating and drinking with them, spending time with them, He's welcoming them. He's affirming them as being made in the image of God, and therein lies their value. And then He is inviting them into a personal relationship. So this morning, we're going to see how He does that in the book of Mark, chapter 5. Join me there as we see Jesus and His ministry of healing. Now remember that the ministry of Jesus has as his objective not just people knowing God, but placing their faith in him, trusting him, and specifically trusting Jesus. So in this beautiful context of Mark, we have a parable of faith in Mark chapter 4 verse 30 about the fact that you just can have a little bitty bit of faith in the right one and it be wonderfully saving and fruitful. And then we see Jesus with his power over such things as the natural elements and he calms the seas. We see him with his power over the demons in chapter 5 in the beginning there of chapter 5 of Mark. And now he is revealing himself as the one who has authority over the human condition, illness, and death. He has this wonderful power to do something when we can't. And so Mark is going to tell us a story. Number one, the first thing he's going to tell in the story is he's going to tell us very clearly, very plainly, of this woman's condition. Look at what he says. Verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but had grown worse. The first thing you need to know about the woman is she is conscious of her condition. That's why she wants relief from it. She's not just conscious that she has a physical ailment. Later today, if you'll go and spend a little time in Leviticus 15, will you make a little note of that? Leviticus 15, a little past halfway through the chapter, you're going to get an understanding of why this woman would be so conscious of her condition. You see that the condition that she was in made her perpetually... Unclean. So she was conscious that if she touched an object, if she touched a person, if she touched anything, anything that came into contact with her body was instantly impure and unclean. Under the law that's given that she would have grown up under and understood very well, she knows that her condition is contagious. She is emanating uncleanness from her person. Mere contact with her by an object or a human being renders that human or that object impure and unclean. As you read through that in Leviticus 17, imagine the thought that when you brush the hand of someone you care about, that they were instantly unclean. That when you lay down on your bed, no one else could touch that bed lest they become unclean. This kicked her out of cooking. This kicked her out of all kinds of interaction with other people. This was serious and she is aware of it. Letter B, we also learn that it's constant. She's had 12 years of this. No relief. 12 years. Think about what kind of emotional impact it starts to have on you when you know that over a period of 12 years, you don't have the Midas touch where everything you touch turns to gold. You have the polluted touch where everything you touch is soiled by its exposure to you. And for 12 years, she's gone through this. ceaseless. Awareness and consciousness that she's the dirtiest thing in the house. She's the dirtiest thing in the neighborhood. She's going through incredible emotional trauma. Not just that it's constant, but it's costly. She wants relief, so she's spent everything she's got. She's tapped into every avenue of income that she can, every savings, every property, everything, and she's now utterly depleted financially. It's led her, not just to the sense of her own helplessness, but it has now drained her of every financial and material resource that she has. She spent it all. Notice how vividly She spent all that she had. It was costly, but it wasn't costly just in what it cost her financially. Notice the phrase that says, "...and had endured much at the hands of many physicians." Now, back in their day, physicians were everything from a local priest, to a rabbi, to a trained person who had gotten some kind of training either in Israel or Rome, Or some adjoining city, maybe in Egypt, and gotten some kind of medical training. All the way to the charlatan on the street corner selling Carter's little liver pills. You folks that are old enough know about those. If you remember Andy Griffith and the episode where the salesman passes through and he's got this elixir that he says came from the Indians and it's just liquor. And Aunt B gets loaded on it and says she's feeling so much better than she ever has. This is the kind of stuff that this woman is suffering under. From the sideshow on the street corner to the trained expert, she's got no relief. She's spent it all. I don't know what it would be to spend everything, to mortgage against the house, mortgage against the property, until everything is finally depleted, and at the end of it, you're sitting there. Not just not better, but what does it say about her? It says she's worse. She's gotten worse. No one can help her. Hopelessness is starting to set in it also causes uncleanliness or uncleanness. That means no church services, no temple worship, no synagogue. None of it. And it's led to a kind of confinement, letter E, where she is the apex of loneliness. And so when we hear her condition, our sorrow increases and we think, God help her. Imagine what it would be like to be this person. It's hard for us. We don't have many gauges of things we've been through. It's funny, when I'm sick, I want everybody around me. Kind of drives my family crazy. I'm, I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac, okay? And so I think I'm dying all the time when I get sick. And I just want people around me. Well, my family doesn't want to get what I've got. Okay? So it's a struggle for them to be with me when I'm like, how are y'all doing? And they're like, germs! Give me a hug! I need a kiss! I, I want contact! I hate that isolated feeling of being cut off. And you know what? Most in my life, that's been short periods of time, the few days... Imagine 12 years of an increasing sense of isolation. Wherein the sense of being loved may be totally absent. She's hurting. That moves us to number two. Mark recounts for us the confidence that she has in Jesus. This is really interesting. Watch how it builds. It says, she's in this condition, and then it says, after hearing about Jesus. So the first thing we need to know, that she was given hope by one simple thing. Somebody told her about Jesus. Now listen, if you're feeling hopeless today, I want to be the one that tells you about Jesus. My brothers and sisters, listen carefully. I don't know who you're in touch with, who you're in contact with, in your daily life, in your neighborhood, in your shopping, in your interaction, in your sports, in your work, in your school, but listen, there are people in every one of those environments that need to hear about Jesus. They need some hope. They need some encouragement. They need to know that they're actually loved. That they're actually cherished. They need to know that. And her hope came when somebody somehow told her about Jesus. I don't know how she heard it. Was it in the neighborhood talk? Did she overhear it as people walked by her window? I don't know. But this is the heart of it. Mark is saying, hope appeared when she heard about Jesus. There's seven billion people on the planet today. Seven billion. And so many of them are captive to hopelessness right now. And they just need to hear one thing. They need to hear about Jesus. They need that. We have forgotten the power of the simple message, Jesus saves. This is not complex. You don't have to get a seminary degree to let people know Jesus saves. Here in somewhere, someone, either in passing or in intentionality, said to her, I know. Someone who can give you hope. I know someone who can give you help. There is nothing too difficult for him. There is nothing impossible for him. I know someone. And so hearing about him, she began to ponder. So the second thing she did, she thought about it. She heard about him. then she thought about it. Maybe this guy's legit. Maybe these stories are true. Maybe he is the one who stands on the bow of the boat and says to the wind and the waves, peace be still, and the earth obeys him. Maybe he's the one who meets a demon-possessed man full of thousands of demons and says, you go out. And the man is restored and places his faith in Jesus. And he's clothed and he's in his right mind and he's totally different from the moment when Jesus first encountered him. Maybe this is the one who heals the sick, makes the lame walk, causes the blind to see. Maybe he's the Messiah so hope springs up in her heart because she heard about Jesus and she starts thinking about him. Look, it says it in verse 28. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, <laughs> if this guy's legit, we're not talking about a great big encounter. I can sneak up on him and nobody will. If he's this powerful. So. She doesn't just hear. Which is great. She doesn't just think about it. She pursued Jesus. If there's nothing else you go home with today. I want you to go home with this. If you will pursue Jesus. He will give you. The fundamental thing you're after. That's the truth. And so she pursues him. And, And if you think about crowds and the size of the crowd, so many people are pressing in that when Jesus raises the issue later, it's like, man, everybody's touching you. So there's this giant crowd and they're all crowded in. and They're pressed. And so she's kind of trying to find some way fighting her way through the crowd just for one thing. She says, if I just touch his garment. So that's kind of a reflection on verse 27 when it says, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. So you see her. She's heard about him. She thought about him and she says, I'm going to go after him. I will pursue him because he is the answer. And so she starts working her way through, bumping people going, oh dear, I just made that guy unclean. I just made that gal unclean. I just made that guy impure. I just touched that child. He is unclean. She's bumping her way through with the consciousness that she is contaminating everybody around her. And then she gets to Jesus. Which takes us to number three. Mark reveals the consequence of the woman's trust in Jesus. There's something about how this is put. Because she knows whatever she touches becomes unclean. The writer doesn't have to tell us a lot about that because this is such a normal knowledge in Israel, it's just a basic function of the law. And so she is aware that everything she touches gets unclean, but she has this idea That there's somebody that she could touch that she couldn't make him unclean. And so something happens. It's miraculous and it's kind of astonishing because it even takes Jesus in some sense by surprise. All these people are bumping him. Jesus is moving through the crowd. He's going from one place to another. He's kind of in a little bit of a hurry because a guy has asked him to come and heal his daughter. And Jesus is aware of the seriousness of the condition and he's working his way. And the crowds are thronging in, wanting to touch him, wanting to see him. So much so, what are guys like Zacchaeus having to do? they got to climb up in a tree just... Catch a little glimpse of him. So all this stuff is going on. And she's working her way through the crowd to get up to him. And she's struggling with every little bit of energy she's got. Knowing all the contamination coming off him. And all of a sudden there's this moment (laughs) where she catches up with Jesus. And she touches him. It's so powerful that it stops Jesus in his tracks. Verse 29, And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt it in her body. Just the tassel. Just the tip of his rope. Everybody else is bumping into him and crowding around and brushing up against him incidentally or coincidentally, but not her. There's an intentionality about her. If I can break through this crowd and touch this man's garment, something can happen. Perhaps he is the Savior. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. This is really interesting because with every other touch, there's a directional thing happening. When she touches everybody else, impurity flows from her to them. Every person, every object, everything. You read through Leviticus and it gets really detailed. But then she touches Jesus and the flow Runs in the opposite direction. You see, instead of impurity flowing out from her contact, read in verse 30. And immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him. I don't know how Jesus knows how much he knows when he's on earth, I know he's limited. I know that there's a limitation because he had to go through the fullness of human experience. So he's going through this crowd and all of a sudden he goes, whoa, hang on, everybody stop. Who touched me? And the disciples think that's the most ridiculous question in the world. Come on, Jesus, we're in a crowd. Duh, everybody's touching you. They're wanting to get a little hand on you. They're wanting to kind of rub up against you, they want to kind of pass by you, say, I touched that healing guy. I saw him today. Man, I was six feet from him. I got so close, I could I could just about touch him. They're all trying to do that so they can brag about the fact that they got to go see the healing man. This woman's different. Her touch is different. And so here, for the first time in 12 years, her consciousness is not of something leaving her messing everybody up. For the first time in 12 years. Something is coming toward her. Power. Cleanliness. Salvation. She touches him. And Mark says, immediately. The flow of blood stops and she feels it in her body and she says, hey, something's different here. I didn't just make that dude unclean, he just made me clean. Jesus stops and he says, who touched my garments? And he's calling her out. Right in front of everybody. This has to be embarrassing, because she's got to tell the story. She tells it in just a second. She's going to tell the story. You know what the crowd's going to go? Ew! All of a sudden, everybody's in reverse, away from Jesus, because they can't touch her. She's dirty! And so out in front of everybody, in front of God and everybody, she says... Twelve years I've been bleeding. And I've suffered at the hands of charlatans and practitioners and experts and rabbis and priests and trained medicine men. And I've depleted everything and you're my last hope. I want you to know that every one of us are just as dirty as she is. But our uncleanliness doesn't come from an illness of the body. Our dirtiness comes from a heart that is unclean. And except we know the cleansing power of Jesus... We're dirty in a way that ceremonial cleansing can never cure. And Jesus is interested in you laying hold of His robe. Jesus is interested in you having His virtuous power move from Him into you just like her. And so God responds to someone's faith in his son. And without the son's immediate knowledge, God just heals her and Jesus feels it. And he says, who? Who? Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? This lady probably wanted to just disappear. Just be gone. But she knew that he knew something that only he and she knew. And so that moves us into the conversation number four that she has with Jesus. Verse 32, and he looked around to see the woman. Who had done this? He's outing her. He's outing her. He's moving all of the focus of everybody there's attention right onto her person. You would think maybe this could just be a little private exchange. But no, Jesus has a public exchange. He says, who touched me? And he says he turned around to look at the woman. So they have a conversation. Verse 33, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and she fell down before him. Listen, if we ever really get a grip on what Jesus has cleansed us of, none of us will be standing. If we ever lay hold of exactly how impure we were and exactly how holy we've become as a result of Him transferring His righteousness to us, This is why everybody in heaven sings. This is why when you see them all gathered before Him, they're singing a new song. Because they get it. It has settled into their heart how woefully sinful, how ruggedly, raggedly filthy we are. And she falls down. Have you ever fallen down before Jesus? Have you ever gotten really how sinfully sick you were? And how gloriously healing he is. So that the result of your encounter was fear and trembling before a mighty Savior. And you just went and threw yourself in worship, in adoration, in thanksgiving, at His feet. She did. And it says, but the woman aware of all that had happened to her came and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. You see, when we finally see Jesus for who He is, it is no problem to vomit out at His feet what we really are. You see, when we're comparing ourselves to each other, we've got to hold our cards close to our chest, lest someone find out what's really in our hand. But when we finally stand in light of Jesus, it's no secret how sinful we are. And so right there in front of all those people, she said, I'm dirty. I've been dirty for 12 years. I've spent everything I had to get this dirtiness off of me. I've done everything I can to be clean, but I'm unclean. And that's why I heard about you and I thought, if anybody can heal me, he can. And that's why I struggled through this crowd and I grabbed your robe. And you know what happened, Jesus, when I grabbed your robe? I was healed. That's what you felt, Jesus. You felt what you have moving into me. I love to tell the story. That's one of our great hymns. She told her story. Right in front of Jesus. And God saw to it that three of the gospel writers would make sure that her story got to you. So that you would receive hope in your hopelessness. Help in your helplessness. Cleansing in your filthiness. This is Jesus. And so she tells it all. And in the conversation, Jesus starts out with such a beautiful word. He says, daughter. He only uses this one other time. Only one other time does he say this. It is such a beautiful term. It is the term of a relationship. Because through her faith, she is now a daughter of the living God. And he turns to her and he says, Daughter? Of all the things he could say, he didn't say, sinner? He didn't say filthy. He didn't say woman. He couldn't say a lot of things that would be true. He said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus speaks to her a title, daughter. a hope your faith has made you well, faith and new faith in Jesus, a state that she is now going to live in, go in peace. A life of 12 years of no peace. Now peace be healed of your affliction. And so, Jesus blesses her, he outs her, lets the story be told, and then calls her the daughter of God. Of all of the things you will ever want to hear from God, the most important will be that you are his child. That will be the most important thing that you'll ever hear from God. That you're His. That He's your Father. That's why in Romans 8, in that glorious passage where it talks about all that God has done for us in Christ, it says, and it comes down to this beautiful moment when you, by the Spirit of God in your heart, can cry out to Him, Daddy. Daddy. He says, daughter, don't miss this one thing here. Many, many, many people are going to brush up against Jesus in their lives. But only a few are going to lay hold of His garment. And one of the scariest things for church people is that we might be just like the crowd around Jesus that day. Brushing up against Him with no sense of how powerful He really is. Because if any of them would have had sense, they would have been grabbing hold too. Don't just brush up against Jesus. Lay hold of him now. He is your only hope. Would you bow with me? I don't know what condition you came into the service in. But here's what I know. You don't want to leave today just brushing up against Jesus. If you're His disciple and a follower, you want to lay hold of Him and embrace Him and be able to do like John did at the Lord's Supper, to lean your head back on His chest. You want to be like Mary at the resurrection that clung so tightly, Jesus said, you got to let go. You want to be like this woman who's had enough sense after having heard about Jesus and having thought about it.